Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. James is so excited about this episode. I am excited about this episode. This episode is with Mike and Tammy, and I have been friends with Mike since we were five years old. Which I'm which is which was back in the seventies. Yes, the eighteen seventies. <laughs> um, which I'm basically super jealous of because one, I don't have friends like that from my childhood. I've one shout out to Chase Tweed, that's my boy. Outside of that, like I didn't have that friend group and I didn't yeah. get that in at church or anything so jealous. Yeah. But also just kind of jealous now because I feel like I'm your best friend, but not really, because Mike's always still in the picture. Like when I called you two nights ago and you're like, oh, I'm just chilling here with Mike. And I'm like, of course, you're chilling with Mike. So there's a little bit of jealousy there. but um, Love you, Steve. Love, oh. But what I loved about was just the love between them. Like yeah. the energy, mm-hmm. like palpable. And so yeah. many people are like, does it really change? Can you really trust them again? Yeah. If it's not possible, you got to explain these two who are sitting here. Yeah. Well, I mean... And five years ago, I mean, I remember talking to Mike, and I was like, "Oh, there's a real chance these guys aren't going to make it, like legit." And they went to the mat. Yeah, they went after it big time, and it was cool because Mike um, let me in on the journey with him as he's gone through it on your special walks that you guys went on. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, James and Mike go on these tender walks. Tammy and I had some questions about what's happening. but Yeah. Been on some walks, spent a lot of um, nights hanging out with some bros and like just processing stuff. So we talk about having have a band, have brothers. We were doing it. Totally. And also what I'm just going to invite is I feel like this episode's just different. And I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a reason totally. to say that. I'm not like, because of this. But just the way the conversation was, was different. And especially some really interesting bonus content. Oh, so how you get that content. bonus content is by becoming an outsider, unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. We are a 501c3, which means all of your money goes to scholarships to help other people. And if you need that scholarship, I invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships to therapy, wear heart boot camp, stuff for women, online stuff, bunch of different scholarships. So please check that out. And um, totally invite you, even if you don't listen to this whole episode, to give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world aggregately finds us and finds this message. Um, and we totally want you to reach out to us. So at Unashamed and Afraid on Instagram and Facebook, send us your questions. If you have a story to share, anything like that, we would love to hear from you. And with that, we will get in the studio with James's other best friend and his awesome wife, Mike and Tammy. Diamond Dogs. <laughs> oh, is that is that's official? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. official. Yeah, shout out to my dogs. Shout out to the dogs, Mike. How are you? Fantastic. Doing better than me with my cold and Tammy. Mm-hmm. Doing great. She so, also doesn't have a cold. You also can tell. does not have a cold. You can yeah. tell. 
I do. Kind of. Steve got me sick. And so now we're both going to have the sniffles on the show and make it fun for Jason to get rid of those. Love you, Jason, <laughs> as he sits here doing this. So um, so we had this like tender heart moment. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase. I had one. So we always sit down before, right? And Tammy and I were talking. And I was like, oh, she's, she just knows. She knows what's on her heart, what she wants to share. So um, we always let people just kind of paint themselves kind of into context. So where whoever wants to start, where do you want to start with your guys' story? I'd love to hear Tammy's oh. thoughts to start with. To start? Well, to start... It's hard because I think, to me, um, our relationship was kind of a non-issue. Um, growing up, I um, I wanted to be a mom, and the husband was kind of like the necessary part of that. <laughs> the necessary like, evil? Yeah. So... Um, for the first, I don't know how many years of our marriage, I threw myself into being a mom and a mother and homemaker and all that stuff. And being a wife was maybe not my top priority. So my story doesn't really start till after Mike's, I think. Yeah. Well, I think your story matters. Uh-huh. And I think that you did have a life before meeting him yeah. also. <laughs> yes. Um, but so how long have you been married? 21 years. 21 years. Blackjack marriage. Love that. So, and counting, right? Mm-hmm. The house is not going to win on this one. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, balls in your court. That's how she came into this thing. How did you come into this thing? How did I come into it? Um, man, I was smitten with this girl. For sure. Um, We had a a whirlwind engagement. I think from the time we met to the time we got married was like six months. And we just knew. Like, we just knew. And, but we didn't know everything. She didn't know everything. What Um, what didn't she know? (laughs) I had been struggling with pornography since I was 10, 12. How old was I, James? You were there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm recalling around around 10 or 11, yeah. James and I were, uh, we grew up together, best buddies. Yeah. We shared everything, including a stack of Playboys (laughs) from the neighbor's house. Yeah. Thanks, neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, neighbor. Thanks, neighbor's dad. That was great. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of my introduction to it, and uh, innocent enough, I think, as just a kid being curious for sure, and progressively just got worse as I got a little bit older. Um, found a little bit more hard kind of stuff, if that's sure. the way to say it. Yeah, and, sure, hardcore porn, yeah, soft hardcore. porn spectrum, sure, and that's about. When I kind of went underground with it, like, oh no, this this isn't safe to share, even with James. 
Yeah. So when did the internet become a thing? Because that's a drastic oh. shift of when, like, how people, how this happened, right? It was a huge difference. Well, this was way before the internet. <laughs> way. <laughs> way. We're old. So old. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I, I started going through the cycle of, I got to stop this. Okay, I'm going to stop this. Oh, I can't stop this. Back and forth, back and sure. forth. Um, decided to go on a mission for my church and thought, oh, this will do it. I, I cannot be a missionary for God and have interest in pornography. Well, I proved that wrong. So tell us all where you went. I was in Montreal, Canada, speaking Spanish. That that was with a Canadian accent, if people didn't pick up on that. <laughs> um, got home from my mission, and then the internet was a thing, and that did not help. But just kept, stayed stuck in that cycle, you know, just back and forth. Uh, okay, I got to. I got to clean this up. I don't feel good about what I'm doing. Fight, fight, fight. Try, try, try. Fall. Um, right. And just... A, and then you meet Tammy. I meet Tammy and I think... Did you tell her about it? No, I did not. Okay. Because it was not going to be an issue. Because you get married and you can have the real thing. You obviously don't need the imitation anymore. That was my belief. That's like, we need like a t-shirt or a bumper sticker for that one. Yeah. And, I mean, we can all, I mean, the truth is we should all cry about that, right? That yeah. like men yeah. is whole in, particularly in, uh, I'll call it a conservative Christian setting, which should value women more highly sexuality, right? As more mm. pure, you know, meaning not just whatever, do whatever you want with whoever you want, right? So even there, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. So common, right? You and me and James and everyone else. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't, six, eight months into marriage when I found myself sucked back in, I, that was a pretty dark time, a dark realization, like, what is going on? Like, why? Um, it didn't make any sense because I had, I mean, look at her, right? I had that. <laughs> and yet I still found myself getting pulled into it. So I'm actually going to ask the question on that and I want your take on this, right? Okay. Um, like why that people get lot, people get confused by that. And I hear from a lot of women, which is why I want your take on it, is um, the confusion of she's she should be, I will use the term like past the sexual filter, right? Because, right, beauty, eye, the beholder, subjective, all of that. But like clearly, I mean, you're joking about it now, but you're serious, right? You mm -hmm. have always been attracted to her physically, sexually, were, still are. I'm getting head nods at a yes, yep. right? So then, like, help us understand, and maybe, Tim, we can start with you, like, because this is a question I hear a lot. If he's attracted to me and I am available, why are you going there? It's just, a, that's a big question in the space. Yeah. So, like, I just want to hear your guys' take on it. 
this is my big takeaway from all of it is it's not about the sex. Like the pornography use is not about the sex, period. It's not about whether you are good enough or living up to whatever this is. There's some bigger issue that is pulling your spouse into that. But as devil's advocate, I want to ask you the question, could that bigger issue also not be solved through sex with my spouse? Yes. Because if it's not about the sex, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, this is, this is, I mean, I know I have my answers to these questions, but I'm saying for you, right? Because it's like, well, it's not about the sex. Then it's like, what's the not about that we need in relationship to not go there? Does that make sense, my mm-hmm. question? Clean that up for me, James. I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> what's missing then? If it's not about the yeah. sex, what's missing? The architect the, right there, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. That intimate connection, whether, you know, it's not necessarily a sexual connection that he's after. It's it's just a knowing, a, a deeper connection than whatever was there. Or And sex doesn't feel that connection. Yeah, yeah. So for you, because then we're going to have him answer, what was missing for you? Why couldn't you connect? Well, I want to say that we were connecting for me. Like my, I felt like my needs were being met. I felt like I had my best friend. And at that point we hadn't had kids yet. So I, I think that our sexual life Life, was great. uh, Yeah. yeah. Like that it, it was really good until that first kid comes, you know, (laughs) but yeah, it was really good. And what I had expected anyways from a marriage yeah. so and a partnership. Yeah. So, Mike, what was missing for you? Um, what was missing for me? Um, there was just an emptiness inside me that I was trying to fill. Um, like my bucket had a hole in it, I guess. And, uh, looking for ways to fill it. We had a great relationship. I mean, we were, I think typical newlyweds just living the dream. And that's why it was so confusing to me and so depressing and discouraging to me when, like I say, it's six or eight months in, like, I can't stay away from this. Why? Um, Because we were connected. We were in love. And looking back now, I think that's when the shame took over and really sucked me in. Because I didn't have any more excuses at that point. I couldn't blame it on... Well, I'm, I'm just a or, yeah, yeah, single horny guy with nowhere else to take all this energy, erotic yeah. energy and my hormones. Like, it makes sense, you know. I, of course, I'm going to be drawn to this, but sure, I'll get married and then I'll I'll be okay. Well, and and a and a, you use the word normal, which I generally don't like. Um, as as Mark Pimsler would say, normal is a setting on a washing machine. Um, 
because I guess what I want to like outline in your story, because a lot of people I actually think don't say that about their marriage when they first get married and don't say that about the first year of their marriage or even the pre-kid stage. A lot of people are like, this is not what I thought it was. This was way harder than I thought. I'm not sure who I married. There's a ton of that that sits in. So when you're like, we're living the dream, we're feeling really good about it. I'm like, no, I think you were probably doing better than most. And I, and the reason I'm bringing that up is it still didn't fill your emptiness. Yeah. Cause I think people lean in that and they're like, Oh, if I was married to someone else, if our life was different, if the job was different. So, I mean, I think that's an example of where people get caught in, not just as newlyweds over time. If the kids were out of the house, if we didn't have so many kids, if I didn't have a kid that had a disability, if I, if one of us wasn't serving so much in church, if I wasn't traveling for work, there's so many of those. And I'm like, you had it, according to you, right? Like, it's like, no, we, we nailed it. Like we loved each other. We're there. We have a relationship, but yet that emptiness for you could still not get filled. Yeah. I had no excuses and that was really hard on my um, mentally. That was really hard on me. Yeah. That's when you feel like the shame started to yeah. get super big. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And then, yeah, kids started coming along and then life gets busy and, as she said earlier, like she was a mom, like she was all in with the kids and, um, they were the priority. And over time we, we did drift apart a little bit or a lot of bit at some points. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what was that script for you? How do you mean? So, I mean, you shared with this team and you can fill in the gap if I have you wrong, right? That you're like, for me, want to be a mom, motherhood. I'm feeling the draw to that. That is big for me. Oh, and I guess you should get a husband along the way if you're going to make that happen, right? Um, Not that the relationship wasn't meaningful and good to you, but for you, like that was a very easy priority. And it sounds like you're like, oh, we have this thing going and then the kids come in and I feel like I'm kind of getting put on the bench or put on the shelf. So what was the script? I mean, what was going on in your mind? Like what was the messaging as you guys drifted apart to use the words that were used to me the the problem was sexual like over time i thought the reason we're so disconnected the reason um i'm not as happy as i want to be is because we're not having enough sex she's tired she's touched out at the end of the day she's she's got three or four kids, depending on when we were, what time we're looking at. And she didn't need one more kid. And I I was like one more kid to her. I, I became very needy, very, to me, um, sex unknowingly, it was about validation. It was about making me feel like a man, making me feel enough, uh, making me feel desirable. And I didn't get that from her. Um, but man, I could get that from the computer screen. Yeah. So when, as James highlighted, like, you're like, oh, sometimes we were a little disconnected and he's like, I was there tell me why don't you try that again? (laughs) Take me to like, when it was bad, what did that look like? How often are you doing the thing? What did it look like between the two of you? Like, take me to that part where when you tell the story, it's like, hey, put the kids to bed before we tell this part, because this is where it gets ugly. <laughs> yeah. 
I've got some specific memories on this. Oh, I'm time. sure. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Um, our our fifth child was about to be born, and this was 12 years into the marriage. And I mean, I was at the the peak of my like neediness and validation seeking and pressuring her to to have sex with me, whether she wanted to or not, kind of. And there was just this one night where I got rejected. Um, I got told no. And I just said, that's it. I am so tired of being told no. I will never, ever ask her to have sex again. Ever. And for the next five years, we would have, we had what could be classified as a sexless marriage. It was three, four times a year, <clears throat> special occasions, holiday, anniversary, things like that. But that was it. Um, and we did that for five years. That was, that was the darkest time for me because in during that time, it was so easy to justify going elsewhere to try and fill my bucket. Um, and elsewhere for you being porn. Just porn. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was bitter. I was resentful and just very justified in whatever I needed to, to get by. I was going to do that. So in this five-year window, Tammy, what are you feeling about the relationship? Are you sensing any resentment? Are you, are you, is this on your radar at all? Are you just still diving into the kids and getting well, all of your, getting your bucket filled from that? So the night that he is talking about was, I was due to have number five. And it was one of those like, let's keep having sex to get this baby out, you know, every night. Because he was thinking about you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we had, I don't know, one or two nights before that, and it would start the contractions, but go nowhere. And I was miserable. And so... Never had any of those, but I hear they're quite yes, painful. Yes, And it's... Yeah, it was... That night, his rejection and pouting and everything kind of sent me the same way. Like, okay, fine. Like, <laughs> this is great. And then that first year with a fifth baby, like the first year is kind of a blur anyways with a baby. And I remember thinking, I don't know if we're going to make it. Like, our marriage-wise, like we were super disconnected. And... um. But we made it through that first year, and I just kind of dove more into the kids and me, like finding who I was and um, figuring myself out and kind of left Mike in the dust. So I was really happy, and I kind of thought, well, my my parents' example growing up, my dad traveled all growing up and he was gone and then he retired and they reconnected and they have this, 
great relationship right now, like after he retired and they they could connect again. So in my mind, that's that's what we're going to do. We're going to have these kids. My kids are my priority. And I have a great roommate and partner in this family business that we're running together. <laughs> great business partners. <laughs> yeah. And we were, we were friends. I think we were, yeah, we were really good friends. Yeah. But yeah, that's about it. Looking back on that time now, like, do you, do you feel like, oh no, I was, there was something missing? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cause I, I mean, I think that's beautiful because, um, I mean, maybe I'll ask at the end of the episode, but I think people have that as the, I mean, I'll just use the word denial piece of, working on whatever their shame issue is, their mental health issue, the the addiction, compulsive behavior issue, because they're like, oh, well, I can't do it while, you know, we're going through this buyout at work, so I guess I'll work on it after that. Or, you know, when our kids are out of the house, then I'll work on it. Or when I'm no longer serving in this church calling, I'll work on it. I think that's an often of like, well, let's kind of get out of this phase and then take a look at it. Um, not that that's necessarily a service, but so what shifted? So we're in the, we're in the five-year gridlock. Um, I had started listening to podcasts and things about sexuality, about relationships. Um, I found some people, um, with a different message about, different messaging around like sexual struggles, pornography, masturbation, um, a different take on all of that that I'd never heard before. So what was the take you had heard? And then what was the new one? Give us both. So the take you'd heard was? My belief growing up was that, you know, pornography was the worst thing in the world, (laughs) that it will destroy you, that it uh, is evil, filthy, vile, and anybody who, at least my interpretation or my yeah. had the way I internalized it was anybody who looks at it, uses it, likes it, is also filthy, evil, dirty, vile, yeah. disgusting, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the scare tactics. Um, right. You're going to, you'll turn out like Ted Bundy. Uh-huh. You know, that's, yep. that's what put him to where he ended up. So you better watch yourself, boy. Um, yeah, I, I was the scum of the earth because I was doing this terrible thing that I had heard ad nauseum that I should never do. And probably doesn't help the shame script that you're rock star momming it. So like from an outside perspective, like you're checking all the boxes, Mike, what's wrong with you? Yep. She, she was leaving me in the dust, like she said. So what was that new messaging then? Well, the new messaging was, it was learning about shame um, and how the the shame cycle works. Um, I'd never heard about shame before. James introduced me to Brene Brown and... Um, her shame hey, Brene. research. I make up in my mind that Brene likes us because we use shame, the <laughs> word shame a lot and talk about her a lot. And although she's a huge deal, she 
stops by and takes a listen every once in a while. And I guess, you know, around pornography, there was some some talk of, I guess I want to say normalization, maybe, that it makes sense that you're attracted to that. Like, we are hardwired by God to be attracted to sexuality. And um, it's it was kind of, I don't know the word, depathologizing it, if, mm-hmm. if that's the right word. Sure. Um, to where I could look at it with a little bit more compassion, a little bit more understanding, a little more grace that, oh, it makes sense that I am attracted to that. Look at it or look at you? What do you mean? Because you said I was able to look at it with a little more grace and compassion. Oh, look at my struggle. Yeah. And yeah, myself. Yeah. Um, my, my internal dialogue, my narratives about myself softened. Um, I started to understand what compulsive behavior was and what a coping mechanism was. And I just started to see it in a different light than just this disgusting habit that disgusting people have. And so as I kind of separated the behavior from me as a person, um, yeah, I, my, my thoughts changed. My, the way I saw the struggle and myself changed. And so that didn't really fix the compulsive problem right away. I'll tell you what did, though. Um, we're still in the... We're still in the middle of our five-year drought, um, and I'm still struggling with pornography. I've got this new mentality about it, but I I still can't can't give it up. And I finally got to the point where I was like, I'm just done trying. I don't want to try anymore. Maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. Apparently, I like it because it's been 30 years now that I have been going back and forth. Why am I fighting this so hard? Um, like, just stop fighting it. And I, in, in it, not in, it did not come from the best part in me to just say, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to enjoy it. Uh, I'm going to stop fighting it. Just give in. And so I did. Like, I kind of gave myself permission to just just do it. And, I mean, within days, the pull started to decrease. The pull that I had felt for 30 years was getting weaker which was really confusing because I had just given myself the green light to like go hog wild, whatever you want, whenever you want, just do it. And then it was all of a sudden like, Oh, I don't really want to, I don't really need to. That was not, was I not what I was expecting. 
to say the least. There's a trip for some of you listeners. I mean, I, I think back on it now and I think, you know, that's, that's when the shame really went away for me because I, I don't know, just something in the, the permission to just be me to something in the idea that this is not the end of the world, that I'm not the scum of the earth, that uh-huh. I, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time articulating it, but. So I remember on one of our walks when you were talking about this and you made this choice. By the way, James never goes on walks with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember you describing it. You're like, you know, I'm just going to give myself the choice to do this because I'm just going to look at it like it's mental junk food. And so while I can, can I eat junk food? Sure. Is that really what I want for myself? Probably not in the long run. But for you, it was just giving yourself the freedom to choose. Having the freedom to choose it then gave you the freedom to not choose it. Yeah, exactly. I kind of reclaimed my agency in the way I think about it because I'd been told my whole life that I could not look at pornography. You cannot do that. And of course, I proved them wrong time and time again. Oh, yes, I can. Don't tell me what to do, Mom. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there was something in the reclaiming my agency to say, you know what, I can do this if I want to. That, first of all, kind of removed the shame from it. And second of all, was like empowering. I stopped... I stopped being acted upon and I became an actor in my own story. Um, Well, and I think a lot of people feel trapped, particularly when they're still living in the secrecy side of it, right? Like when they haven't disclosed um, and they're not taught, they're not on a friend with their buddy talking, you know, on a walk with their buddy talking about it. Um, that's one that, you know, I mean, has been expressed on this podcast often here in my office, you know, is it's like, I feel trapped. I feel stuck. I feel like I don't have a choice. I feel like I don't have an option. Um, I mean, really, it sounds like that's what actually led you to the give up is like, there's no other roads to go down. So whatever, there's one road, let's, let's ride it. And that changed the paradigm for you. Yeah. So when did you find out about his pornography use? How did he describe it to you or disclose it to you or whatever and the frequency? Um, and how did that affect you or did it at all? Like, what was your reaction to all this as he decides to start being more open and vocal about his um, discoveries? So there wasn't, there was a lot of other stuff going on in our relationship. If you can imagine like when, um, I don't know at what point we had like the moment in, in that part of your story, there was a moment where, um, I was really sick and I had this surgery and, Um, they were willing me in to go have this surgery. And he just kind of looked at me like, like there was nothing there. There was nothing there. 
And so, I mean, it took me maybe a week after that. And I just kind of cornered him and I just said, do you even love me anymore? And just that moment was the moment that broke everything. You know, like all of the walls came down, all of the... the. Where did that moment happen in the five years? It was at, at the end of the five years, yeah. huh? Okay. Yeah. 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 So that was the moment that every, all of the. We got real. Yeah. <laughs> the fake life that we had built crumbled and we had rebuilt from there. And so there was, there was a lot of other relationship issues going on. And so when he disclosed to me his pornography use, I think it kind of just went over my head like, well, this is just one more thing. Like it wasn't. It so what were the other things? Yeah, I was just going to go there. Let's talk about all of the other, <laughs> the relational problems and issues that were going on. Light bulbs turn on. Mm-hmm. Do you love me anymore? Well, like, what do you? I, I don't remember what I said, but I, I don't think I knew if I did or not. Like, I think I kind of said, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was going on? We're both, we were both very conflict avoidant. Um, we never fought. And we thought that meant. We, we had a great marriage, yeah. right? We never fight. And probably never talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't, we didn't have real intimate conversation. We could talk about the kids and day-to-day life. You um, could run the business together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. the family business. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, really, there was no intimacy of any kind. Obviously, the sexual, because it's been five years now with very, very little. Um, emotional intimacy, not so much. Spiritual intimacy, nope. And even, like, physical, non-sexual intimacy, not really there. Like, we're not holding hands. We're not cuddling. We were just roommates, business partners, just getting it done. So something shifted for you. You're going into the surgery. You're looking at him and you're seeing like, oh, something's gone here. You're like, oh, does he even love me anymore? So there's more going on behind all that to make you ask that question. What are you seeing and what are you seeing after, you know? He had just gotten like so oh, I want to say dark. He was just in a really dark place personally. Like he was fighting lots of demons within himself, I think. Just Mike's nodding yes, by the way. Just yeah. For everyone who's <laughs> not sitting here with us. Yeah. And um I had kind of been oblivious to all of that. And just, I mean, focusing on kids and then on my own health and and just had, had been oblivious. There's like a tone in your voice as you say that. Tell me what Regret. that tone means. Yeah. Ah, tell me about Regret. that. Tell us about that. Um, 
it, it just makes me feel really sad that he was going through that on his own. They, Mike and James haven't mentioned that they didn't talk about their struggles either, like together. I don't know when these walks were going on, but I'm yeah. pretty sure it was way after the fact. Like they... Yeah. yeah, they spent years just yeah. hanging out, not talking yeah. about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, we'd, we'd done that. So when was that night? I remember it was August. Was this before or after the question? It was after, do you love me? Okay. So this was... Back in your guys' 70s or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the 70s. Um, no, and it was shortly after that question, I think, that... I don't remember. We were just hanging out on your porch and... I think yeah. I I think I got real about my struggle with pornography and you're like, yeah, my marriage is really shitty right now. And then that really did a lot for yeah. us, you and I. Yep. Yeah, I mean, we had we had been best friends. Yeah. For since we were like 5 40 years yeah. almost. <laughs> but we didn't have a real connection. We yeah. were just we were just hey bros, just growing out. Yep, yep. And I remember one of my biggest regrets. I mean, this was probably ten years prior. James and I were at lunch, and James is like, "So, how do how do you stay away from pornography?" <laughs> Which I was not staying away yeah. from pornography. I just kind of assumed he was because he was serving in a bishopric and a, you know, and whatever. And I was, so I just so assumed. Pastoral leadership. Yeah. Figured, oh, he's kind of in the, doing the church leadership thing. So he's yeah. probably doing pretty good in this area. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he asked me that and I was, I don't know, I just put on my best poser face. Oh, well, <clears throat> yeah. Just try harder. Yeah. 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 And, oh, I, I kicked myself for years. Um, like that was my chance to open up to somebody about it that, cause I'd never opened up to anybody and James put that bit out and I rejected it cause I was too proud, too afraid. And I mean, not only the effect it had on me that it meant I continued to be alone, but it also meant I wasn't there for James cause He's not going to talk to me about it anymore. And I feel like we missed a, a golden opportunity there to to connect earlier. And lucky that there's second chances. Yeah. So um, kind of coming in, like, to wrap up, like, kind of leaning into that, some of the gold nuggets. So I just, Tammy, the, the question, I'm going to put it this way. So, if anyone's listened to the Johan Hari TED Talk, Everything You Know About Addiction is Wrong, he's talking at a societal level, right? Um, And he talks about, right, in the U.S., we punish addicts, right? So, our goal is, if you have addiction, we're going to punish you, imprison you, and hope that you learn your lesson. And um, some people have had some more successful systems somewhere else. Go watch the YouTube video. Um, They said, if you wanted to keep people addicted you should endorse that system. And so what he says to wrap up his TED Talk is, um, he says, for all these years, we've been singing war songs to addicts. 
when we should have been singing them love songs. And so my question for you, Tammy, because as someone who struggles with addiction, um, I do find it hard to love myself. As Mike's described, I'm like, yeah, we all feel that one, right? Um, But I also do find it hard to love the people in my life who struggle with addiction. And I know better, right? And even still, like it's hard to love people who have addiction. So how did you shift? Because you did it Cold War style, right? How did you shift from that to love songs? Because that's hard. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how to answer that. I'm not sure. It was a long process. I don't know. It was. Because it is so yeah. obvious that you love him. Sitting mm-hmm. here, you guys got one of those. No, people aren't sitting here with us that I'm like, man, you want that whatever's, whatever's going on between <laughs> these two. We all want a scoop of that, right? Yeah. So even in that long process, what's happened? What's different? Because this is different than the story you told us. The two people yeah. sitting in front of me, that's different than mm-hmm. the story you just told us. Yeah. So for you, what, what made the difference? Um, Connection in every way. Like the emotional, the spiritual, the physical, the just just connecting however we can um, and understanding. We talked about empathy, having empathy for each other. And yeah, there's, there's a lot. I, I'd say the emotional intimacy, like being real with each other, that, that was big. That was really big. And it continues to strengthen the more, the more real we can get, the more I can trust him. And yeah. And that hasn't been an easy journey. That's been a lot of years. Yeah. Like we said, it was five years ago and I'm still like, we're still climbing. I, but it's good. So Mike, you talked about one pivotal change, right? Is like you accepted that you could choose this or whatever you gave yourself to choose to the capacity to choose it. That was a shift. I know you've gone through some other major shifts. So what have been some pivotal moments in what's shifted your ability to move into a whole different space mentally, spiritually, sexually with yourself and with Tammy? Connection and intimacy. I think it's that same YouTube video you mentioned, Steve. Um, he says, Johan Hari, Johan everything Hari. you think you know about addiction is wrong. I think Just, he says, the opposite of addiction yeah. is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah, Am correct. I right? Uh, 100%. Yep. And, word for word, you got it. And that's what I've found. I found connection and intimacy with my wife, uh, with myself, with other good men and with God. I think those are the big four for me. Um, I, I mean, when this was at its worst, I didn't even have a bucket to fill. Like the bucket was obliterated and just gone. And so there was no fill in it. Um, my bucket just runneth over today. Um, I have so much connection 
with my wife, um, with good men around me, good friends, and with my father, with God. Um, and I love myself too, which I have not always been able to say. Connection, it's where it's at. Um, the Warrior Heart Boot Camp was a big part of that, finding connection with God. Warriorheart.com, scholarships on our scholarship page. Um, I'd agree with that. Like, after his first boot camp, he came home a different man. And, yeah, I, I told him, I really like boot camp, Mike. <laughs> like, yeah. this... Yeah. Yep, she told me a couple times, I love the man that comes home to me from boot yeah. camp. Um, yeah. Understanding who God really is and reconnecting with him, uh, repairing our relationship. Um, so much of that came from boot camp, which then allowed me. But you only got to boot camp because you were reaching out to other men. You know what I mean? I'm just talking the early on yeah. stages. Well, James like, had been pestering me for years to join him. Nah, no thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds weird. <laughs> and finally, as a favor to him, I, I'll i go see what this is all about. And yeah, it was life-changing. So the one thing, the one thing you would want people to know. So that woman who still is like, doing it Cold War style, doing it from 100 feet away, like, cool with us being roommates, we'll figure it out 20 years later when the kids are out of the house, whatever. What would you want to tell her? Fight. Like, go all in. It's worth it. It can be better. And you both deserve better. Do what it takes. <laughs> and I want to also say, it's not about the sex. <laughs> like, that's my my big thing that, yeah. yeah, it just, there's something missing and fill those holes for each other in whatever ways you need to. Yeah. So. And Mike, for you, good sir, the guy that is still like, oh, cool, connection, God, I've tried all the things, I read the book, I went to the therapy session, did the 12 steps. It doesn't work. Not for me. What would you tell them? I think for me, step one was understanding that God still loved me, even though I was messing up. That he wasn't angry at me. He wasn't disappointed in me. He still loved me. Um, he wasn't going to love me more once I kicked this habit for good. He wasn't going to love me less because I hadn't quite figured it out yet. And having that as an anchor, uh, you can do it at that point. Um, He's on your team. Like he's on your side. He's pulling for you. He's not up there 
with his back turned to you. He's up there with his arms open wide. I mean, I felt so distant and disconnected from God. And I thought it was because, yeah, he had turned his back on me. I realized that the shame and the fear and the messaging around pornography, I was turning my back to him because I didn't feel worthy of his love. I didn't feel worthy of his help. And once I got past that and just turned back to him, like he was there, open arms, like, let's do this. You and me, we got this. I guess that's what I'd say to those who have done it all. We let folks pick a song at the end, like that was really meaningful or that has been meaningful looking back, you know? It's probably uh, my heart song for a while has been... uh, is it James T.W. Soldier? Soldier. Um, yeah, when I when we were fighting to reconnect and um, I was failing to show up as the man I wanted to be, like that song would always snap me right back into it. Like it would just remind me of, of the man I wanted to be for my wife, that I could be her soldier, that I could fight for her and that I could do it, that I had what it takes, that I was enough, like whenever I'd get anxious and dark and depressed, like, boom, that just bring me right back to it. So that's my heart song. Yeah. And um, I, I know everyone else only got to hear, I got to sit. Um, so I just want to say gratitude. Thanks for being here with us. Uh, grateful. Um, sometimes we get people from far away. Sometimes we get people who happen to be our best friends. And James just over here just smirking, so proud of you guys. Um, so, uh, and if you'd like to come to the bonus content, we invite you to donate on ashamedunafraid.com backslash donate and become an outsider like Mike, who's like day one outsider, old G. Um, and uh, give us five stars on iTunes if you want the rest of the world to hear this message of hope. Uh, for us to say all the money that you donate, we're a nonprofit, so all that stuff um, all goes to scholarships, which can be found if you need help. Go. We have scholarships, um, so check that out on the website as well. And until we get a chance to be with you again, follow us on social media at Unashamed Unafraid, and continue to be unashamed of the story that you make up, that you are vile, bad, and terrible because of the things you do, And don't be afraid of God, because as Mike said beautifully, his back is not turned. And as requested by Mike, his heart song, We Will Leave You With Soldier by James T.W. Hold your breath, don't look down, keep trying. Darling, it's okay to be scared, it's frightening. At times it just feels like the world is trying hard to knock us down But there's a reason that we're still here but no one else is around How we've grown Every single day I'm proud I swear I won't Let anything stop us now I'm not a soldier But I'll find through our darkest of days Get on my shoulders And I'll carry you all of the way Cause there's no life worth living in If you're not with me And I'm not a soldier But you make me wanna be brave
Carry you on. 